1: Everybody alive, mostly alive, a couple people, uh, glad to see you all this morning. I'm excited as we begin our series, God and Hamilton, today. Uh, we're going to talk, I'm going to talk about uh, the musical and talk about the person uh, this morning as we get going. But before we do, I actually want to go ahead and um, I want to jump into this text and then we'll kind of... Uh, communicate everything with that backdrop. But we we are coming off of a series called Amazing Grace. And we've talked about the sufficient grace, the abundant grace, the sanctifying grace, the justifying grace. And one thing that I know that we have done a lot of as we've preached on this amazing grace, and we can hear that, but It's not enough for us just to hear about the grace of God. Um, And and what I want to help us understand is that the grace of God has not been made available just so that you can know about it. It's ultimately so you can actually receive it. Y'all hear me this morning. I'm going to say that one more time. The grace of God is not just for you to hear about it. It's that you would actually receive the grace of God. Do you know that you can, you can, has anybody gotten like a gift card for Christmas or a gift card for a birthday? And you have been given this gift card that on it are resources available for you to utilize and you actually never, like you end up losing the card or never actually use it and there's just money out there. Anybody like that? You all use your cards? You know, it's like if somebody came up to you and said, hey, by the way, I just want to let you know that someone has completely paid off your car note. You just have to receive it. You wouldn't just go, oh, man, somebody paid, that was, that's amazing. No, you would go and run to go and obtain that, Right? because that debt has been paid and so this morning I want us to be able to be reminded that this grace was not just meant to be heard it was meant to be received and that we can receive it boldly cuz it's not based on us it's based on him would you turn with me to hebrews chapter 4 and I'm going to begin in verse 14 And find grace to help in time of need. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. This powerful, amazing, almost incomprehensible gift that's been given to us. This act of redemption that none of us could earn this incredible work that not one of us were strong enough or good enough or faithful enough to accomplish. And yet you did it anyway. Lord, I'm asking this morning, as I share, as we look at your scripture, as we look at the life of Alexander Hamilton, Lord, and as we look at what you are doing in our own lives, that, Lord, that you would produce in us, Lord, not just a spectator-level engagement, but, Lord, that there would be a deep hunger and that we would be compelled to respond to this glorious grace that has been given. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Kayla. Couple of things before I get in here that I want to mention is one: if you are connecting uh, and wanting to get involved with City 101, we're actually not going to be doing City 101 over the month of February. We'll beginning, we'll continue that uh, in March, and so we really want to encourage you to sign up for that. And as David said, please sign up for a city. Uh, uh, one of our city groups that are going on. We will be continuing each week discussing the scriptures and the concepts that we're unpacking on Sunday. So it's a great way to take that next step and go even more in depth, not just hearing but applying that word and connecting with others as we're doing the same. So. In the event that you have been living under a rock or avoiding all of the hype of Hamilton for the last five years, I'd like to give you a quick overview a little bit about Hamilton. First of all, just by a show of hands, how many of you in the room have heard of the musical Hamilton? If you've heard of the musical, just raise your hand. All right, that's a nice amount of you. How many of you have seen this musical? If you've seen it, raise your hand. Yes, God bless you. We're praying for your budget. We know, we know the struggle is real. So, Hamilton, the musical, was written by Tony Award-winning actor and playwright uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and he was inspired to write this musical after he had won just more Tony Awards that he could handle for In the Heights, and he decided, you know what? I'm gonna take a vacation, and on his vacation, as he was going on vacation, he had a biography on the life of Alexander Hamilton uh, by Ron Chernow, and as he was reading it, and discovering this story and this, this, this character and the, the, uh, the path in which he took from poverty to becoming a founding father, he was so inspired and compelled to write this musical. Now, to let you know some about this musical, this is one of the things that makes it so unique and why I love it is that the music does not take the stereotypical take on musical theater sounds and motifs, but it incorporates lots of hip-hop and R&B and soul themes throughout it. Not only that, but he actually decided to take a non nontraditional... Uh, Way to portray the Founding Fathers in the Revolution. And instead of just having a bunch of white guys, he decided to have an intentionally multicultural task. The way he pronounced it is he wanted to tell the story of America then as told by America today. Now, when it premiered, it premiered originally off-Broadway in 2015, the beginning of the year, February, and they completely sold out. And in August, they were relocated on Broadway and immediately began to sell out. Not just one show, but they sold out. You could not get a ticket to Hamilton for almost the first year that it released because it had so much renown. Again, for those of you not familiar, the Tony Awards go to uh, productions on Broadway, theatrical productions, musical productions. And they were nominated for 16 nominations for Tony Awards, and they took home 11 It, including best musical. Now, currently, I mean, it's it has gone all over the world. There's uh, ongoing shows in Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., Washington D.C., um, of course on Broadway, Toronto, and they're going to be expanding to Hamburg as well as uh, Sydney, Australia. They've also done runs in Puerto Rico. It's an incredible story, and it's an incredible way in which it's told. It now. Uh, Kelly and I, we had the opportunity a couple years ago to go see the Chicago production. And, you know, when I heard about it, I'd heard all the hype, but I didn't really know much about it. And I was, to be quite frank, I didn't hear any, I hadn't heard any music. I hadn't really seen any pictures of the cast. I just thought to myself, I mean, seriously, like how exciting can a musical be about Alexander Hamilton, right? I mean, that, that section in our history class was really short. The most exciting thing was like there was a duel. He got shot. He died. And that was all. That was, that was what I got from, you know, my interdisciplinary studies class at Lawrence Central High School. God bless LC. Um, and so I just, I just was not really motivated at all. And, and then when I, I kept hearing, people were like, man, you would like it and you would like this. And, and then I, I saw a picture, and it was a picture of the founding fathers, and they were all brothers of color. And I thought, well, that's an interesting take. Um, and so I was intrigued a little bit, but then when I I knew that we were going to go, I thought, you know, I'm going to hold out. I'm not going to listen to the music. I'm going to wait until I can go for myself. I didn't want to, you know, build up any weird expectation. I didn't want to mess it up. I'm just I'm going to come in and take it in. So we, you know, we went in. We had, (laughs) we we were up in, in the balcony, and there was like a pole, so I was like slightly leaning. It just allowed me to get a little bit closer to Kelly during the show. And, What just began to unfold was one of my favorite all-time musical experiences. Um, Now, uh, I I, I tell you, I always, I feel like as a pastor, you have to give this caveat. You know, it is a raw story. There is colorful language and interaction. Um, I believe also if we were to see a theatrical production of the life of David and its rawness, it would be equally interesting. Um, But I just give that caveat, you know, don't just like take your three-year-old and just said it and forget it, and you might come back and hear some interesting things. But the storytelling and the way that you see this person, not just the character, this person, on this incredible journey and the intentionality that went into every note and every lyric and every couplet and every, and every movement was absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, you could see, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, in my opinion, is one, will be known as one of the greatest creatives and playwrights of our time. Um, I mean, he's absolutely brilliant in the way that he places things together. It took him over a year just to write one song because he wanted to make sure it was done so well. And he would, he would play, he would mess around on the piano and play a melody that he really liked. And then after he did that, he would loop it and he would put it on his uh, phone and he would just walk around New York for hours and hours and hours on in just trying to come up with lyrics that felt like it told the story and fit together. There was so much time that was put into it. The set itself was not all that amazing, quite frankly. It was just kind of basic, but you realize it was just really to be a plate to serve up this incredible, incredible story. Now, this story, for me, As I began to look at it and particularly looking at it through a lens of a believer, you begin to see, you know, this musical that was really more than a musical, and so many people that have experienced it have left, sensing that they had experienced almost a religious encounter, a spiritual encounter. And I believe it was not an accident not necessarily even that it was the intent of Lynn manuel Miranda, but when you're telling the story of Alexander Hamilton, it's almost impossible to tell the story without seeing the strands of grace and redemption that run through that story. The author of the book, God and Hamilton, Kevin Cloud, who's going to come and he's actually going to speak here in three weeks. I'm really excited to have him as a special guest As we were talking, we were, you know, I was on the phone uh, with him and we just kept talking back and forth on how there's all of these themes that are stirred up and yet you kind of leave without truly understanding the impact and where that longing and that hopeful longing leads. And so the heart behind this series is to really help us understand and connect the dots that this story is not just a story. It's not just a great musical. It's not just a great musical score, but there's actually a thread of hope. And we see this in different things, in different streams. You know, the gifts of God come without repentance. And then I always say it's like Every person was made in the image of God. Everything, every gift that you have was given from God. And as we begin to walk in it, even whether we know it or not, many times God will use the foolish things. He will use even the gifts and the talents of those that may not even be aligned with him to tell his story. Do you know that our God used a donkey to send a message to someone? Wow. Yes. Yes, he now, I would say Lynn manuel Miranda is a far cry from a donkey. But I do want to help us understand this story and connect it, because I believe that it will connect with us today. Let me talk to you a little bit about Hamilton, the person. First of all, Hamilton was born into destitute poverty. He was born in the Caribbean. He was raised by parents living together in a common-law marriage. The, the, even the arrangement of his mother's uh, relationship really saw her as, in, in a despised light. Um, the circumstances as well led to Hamilton really being identified and, and marked by the sense of shame and a stigma of illegitimacy, which you see as a theme and a strand throughout the musical. And while he was young, I mean, just <laughs> this is how, how rough the situation was. While he was young, his father abandoned him. His mother was left to raise he and his brother, his older brother, Then, when he was 12, his mother died because of the fever. And within a short span of a couple years, the cousin that was responsible for taking over to caring for him and his brother during that time, he committed suicide. His grandmother died. His aunt died. His uncle died in a very short time. Alexander Hamilton and his brother James, who was two years older than him, when they were 14 and 16, they were orphaned and penniless. Now, around this time, in about, I believe, it's 1772, there was an incredible hurricane that absolutely decimated the island of St. Croix, where they were living at the time. And it was out of the wreckage of this hurricane that Alexander Hamilton, who was just God-given, this God-given gift of brilliance and, and a work workmanship with the pen and a gift to write, he began to write a letter about this experience. And it was upon reading this letter, as this letter would be published in the local newspaper, that local businessmen, leaders, church leaders came together and took up a collection so that Alexander Hamilton could come to the U.S. and attend college. They saw that there was something about this young man. Even in the midst of his brokenness, even in the midst of his loss, even in the midst of his ache, his rejection, his shame, there was a gift that was given to him that propelled him into his destiny. I love the fact that the foundation, that the, the catapult, that the platform for Alexander Hamilton's life was a gift of grace. Yeah. That everything that he would continue to do, everything you would become as a founding father, the foundations that he would lay, the work that he would do as a part of the revolution would all be sparked as a result of a gift that he could not pay. Now, he would go on to study at King's College. He would eventually, uh, soon after that, get, join the revolution. And he quickly got the attention of George Washington. Now, he ascended quickly. I mean, this dude, he was first noticed as, a, as um, one of the artillery captains, but quickly rose up to being, as many of you who watched the musical, George Washington's Right Hand Man. He became essentially the chief of staff of the Continental Army. And it was during this time where he would meet his wife, Eliza Schuyler, who would later on, as you will see, and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks, become truly one of the greatest agents of redemption and grace in his life. After the war, Hamilton served as Washington's secretary of the treasury Uh, I love uh, in in, uh, the biography by Ron Chernow, he states that uh, Alexander created the institutional scaffolding for America's future emergence as a great power, and he helped weld the states irreversibly into one nation. Unfortunately, his life came to a sudden and tragic end when he participated and engaged in a duel with his political rival, the infamous Aaron Burr. But behind The historical details is a rich and raw story of faith and love and forgiveness, of shame, of brokenness, of ache, of regret, of failure. I believe at the heart of it there is a story of redemption and grace. The challenge with grace, though, is that sometimes i think grace this this concept that in spite of what we've done that despite what we've done that that regardless of our status our social status our financial status our moral failings regardless of our religious experiences that there has been this gift purchased for us, this gift made available to us that if we receive it, we are made new and our debt is forgiven. This idea, it sounds so amazing and yet it seems too good to be true. I can speak for myself, although I know that I'm not the only one that Even as someone who has received the grace of God and and was blown away and broken by hearing the good news that that one came on my behalf, named Jesus, that lived a perfect life that I could never, ever lived. And he took on himself my shame and my guilt, and the guilt of not just uh, my own, but of the world's past, present, and future, and he took it upon himself. He died in our place. He rose victoriously. And if we would believe in him and receive him, that everything that we've done, every every trace of sin, every trace of shame is forgiven and removed. Now, most people, when that message cuts you and pierces your heart, for those of us who have received it, it's like, man, yes, I want that. And yet there's this thing in us that sometimes it doesn't even take the next day. Sometimes it might just be a few moments later where there's this sense in us that now we have to earn the grace that was given to us in the first place. Something that we was given to us for free, we now feel like this thing that we've got to make up, I still have to make up for all the bad things that I've done. Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, is that I believe that when you're transformed by the work of Jesus, when you're, when you actually receive the grace and you receive the love of God, that there's such a transformation in you that now God begins to, he begins to shape you to do and prepare you and equip you to do the good deeds you were intended to do. But we're not doing good to get grace. We walk in the things of God because we've received his grace. We walk and we do good deeds and we walk in newness of life not to get love but because we've been loved. Do you hear me this morning? Our motivation is not reparation. We're not trying to—you can never repay God back for what he did. Can you hear that this morning? God wants you to know it. Like you you can't, you can't repay him. You cannot pay the debt you couldn't pay it before and you won't be able to pay it after. But sometimes we get in this mindset that, man, it's amazing, but what do we do next? How do we walk it out? how can we live this? You see this kind of uncertainty in Hamilton's life. We see through his own writings that as even as a young boy, that he had a deep and a rich love for God and for faith. But then as he began to get in in, in his, the middle portion of his life, like many people do, he began to stray. It was even uh, seen that he would even avoid attending to church. While uh, his wife and the children would go and engage in the church community, he would avoid it. Many people believe because of being ashamed of his own moral failures. And in his latter years of life, there was a return, a return to God, where he began engaging in the Scriptures and reading above the Scriptures to his children and and writing about his, his thoughts towards God. But even so, On the last day of his life on this earth, we see this uncertainty and wrestling with feeling worthy or not of the grace of God. In a letter that he wrote to his wife, Eliza, the morning of his death, he writes this. This letter, my very dear Eliza, will not be delivered to you unless I shall first have terminated my earthly career to begin. As I humbly hope from redeeming grace and divine mercy a happy immortality. He hoped in the idea of God's grace. He recognized his dependence on it and yet you can still sense this struggle with whether or not he would be able to attain it. The story of grace is not meant to be heard. It's meant to be received. It's meant to be received. Now, In Luke 15, we see a very familiar encounter, a very familiar story, and it's the story of the prodigal son. It's this beautiful parable. And when I look at these two, well, three characters, you have uh, the prodigal son, you have the father, and you have the elder brother. And Often, the majority of the time gets spent when when we talk about this story. We talk about the son, the prodigal son who had come to the father. And essentially what he had asked for, um, it it was a pretty remarkable and, and offensive request. He wasn't just asking for his inheritance. He might as well have been coming to his father based on the customs of the day and saying, you know, I just wish you would die. There was a brokenness of relationship. You know, it was not customary for you to receive an inheritance from your father unless he had passed. And then the property, the land, would be uh, distributed between the siblings. And so the, old, the younger brother, he comes and he takes his inheritance. He goes to a far off land. He squanders it. He, finds, he squanders it on uh, loose living and finds himself in the most unclean and broken of places. Among the hogs. Now, for a good Jewish boy who knew that pigs are an unclean animal, he finds himself even lower than the pigs, longing and wishing that he had it as good as the pigs. Now, but there was another brother, and this brother stayed with the father. Now, the interesting thing about this brother is this brother, even though he was with the father we see as uh, Luke 15 continues that he was with but he wasn't with the father he wasn't fully walking in the joy and the life of the presence of his father he was almost living and in, in, out of bitterness and hurt and offense and some of it quite frankly I can understand why let me help you understand this this way Because of the situation that came with his brother, his brother put he and his father in a very awkward predicament. Because the way that inheritances were handled is the land would not be distributed until after the father had passed away. And then typically it wasn't like he just had like a bank account where he could go out and say, here's your portion. They would have to sell the dimensions and the properties of land to get the price. And out of that price, then he could pay the younger brother. So more than likely, this small community was fully aware of the offense that the younger brother had caused. And so they weren't even getting full value for this property. This was a fire sale. So this older brother is left with the responsibility of dealing with the crap and the mess that his younger brother put him in and watching his father seemingly be okay with this. So when, we, when the younger brother returns, the elder brother is fe- found off on the field like a slave rather than in the house like a son. Both brothers, for different reasons, We're struggling with walking in and receiving the gift of grace, the gift of the Father, the gift of sonship. Some of us, we relate to the younger brother a lot easier. Maybe your challenge with receiving the grace of God with responding to the grace of God, is that, man, I've squandered it all. I've screwed up. I've had this moral failure. I've had that moral failure. I've been a knucklehead. You know, it's amazing how, and and, and not to diminish uh, the things that we've done and we need to repent and we want to walk in forgiveness, but it's amazing how little blips in our history can just paint over the entirety of our lives. And we can allow moments to define the rest of us. We have these moments, we have these encounters where, like the prodigal son, we just think, even if I I get back there, maybe he'll just let me be a slave. And so we even come in a posture of repentance with the mindset of not even expecting to fully receive it. We're just going to crawl in. And hope that maybe we don 't get rejected, I love when you look at this parable that the younger brother he 's beginning to rehearse his script for what he 's going to say when he 's going to see his father and he 's already processing in his mind that you know i, I, I can't you know I, maybe if I can just at least be like the slaves and you know let let me not get my hopes up he 's probably not going to do this he 's already process in his mind. I know my father's generous. He's so generous that even his slaves eat better and are taken care of better than most. And yet he's grappling with even being able to become into the full embrace of his father. Now we see that what happens is when he does return, the father chases him. The father pursues him with love. The father sees him from a distance and isn't worried about being undignified, but he pulls up his cloak and he runs as fast as he can to restore and to love and to embrace his son. With the older brother, while they're celebrating the younger brother, the older brother is off in the field. He hears the commotion. He comes back. He's frustrated because of what's happening and the celebration that's happening the fatted calf that had been slaughtered so that his brother could be celebrated for returning home. And he's like, man, I never left in the first place. And the father pursues him. Some of you might relate to the elder brother more, where you've tried to do all the right things. And your sin has not been abandonment or abdication or going out and living a wild life. But your sin has been that of pride and self-righteousness and thinking that you can actually earn this gift of grace. Again, I remind us, no one can earn it. Do you hear me this morning? Do you hear me this morning? Wherever you are on the spectrum The only proper response, the only way that we can truly receive the gift of grace, the only way that we go from not just hearing about this amazing grace, how sweet the sound, the only way that we can receive his justifying, sanctifying, abundant grace is not just to hear about it. It's not just to talk about it. It's to receive it and the way we receive it is to repent. This word, repent, it means to turn, to metanoia, to to turn our minds, to change our minds. See, we love to hear about grace and grace that is free, and it is free. But it's not enough just to hear about it. He wants us to receive it. And the way we receive it is by turning to Him. By turning away from our way, there was a change in the prodigal son's mind where he realized, man, if I could just get back to my father, maybe his way wasn't so bad after all. There was a change of heart and mind. Some of us get so disheartened and so frustrated whether in the church or out of church, because maybe you've heard about the good news and you've heard about this grace, but you actually never repented. You never turned. And so you're trying to figure out how to get and walk in a grace that you haven't received because nothing's changed. And unfortunately, many people have lied to you and told you you don't have to change. I think it's important for us to all know that God loves you regardless of what you've done. God loves you unconditionally. Whether you respond or not, He loves you. Whether you respond or not, His grace is available to you. And all should come. You don't have to get cleaned up to come to God. But when you come to Him, He came to change you. He came so that you could go from death to life. Death to life. He came so that you could go from being a slave to a son and a daughter. He came so that you could make the transition from being hopeless to now being an ambassador of hope to where you don't just have it, you get to give it. He came so that you would go from being impoverished of soul to being rich in blessing. I'm not talking about your bank account. I'm talking about eternity. And so why would we want to come? Why would we want to come to this grace? Why would we want to come to this cross section and hear about its splendor, hear about its beauty, and then just walk away unchanged. Is it too good to be true? Are the entanglements of being so used to being dependent on my own accomplishments and my works, are they so strong? Is the shame of what I've done or what's been done to me It's so strong. It's not stronger than him. I'm going to have my wife, Kelly, come up, and she's going to share a spoken word piece called The Colors of Grace. It's a powerful and beautiful piece. And I want you to meditate on this gift, this gift that did not come easy, this gift that was not cheap, and as you meditate on it and you hear it after she finishes, I want to charge us all in whatever place you find yourself on the journey to respond, to be awakened to this gift that was being made available and to not just receive it in a mental ascent, but by the grace of God, respond in repentance. I want also to make this caveat. Repentance is not just a one-time thing. That's right. That's right. Now let me clarify if you're getting nervous right now. I'm not saying you get saved and saved and saved and saved and saved and, saved and you got to get frequent altar miles. But the more we walk with Jesus, when you, even when you come into faith and he's made you new, His part of his grace is revealing areas in your heart that he's calling you to surrender so that you can even walk in greater grace, so that you can walk in greater freedom. And so as you hear this, don't just dismiss it and say, man, that's great. I already did that. God wants to do something in you this morning.
0: morning, everybody. All right, as John said, this is called The Color of Grace. What would you say is the color of grace? As if love could be painted across sky and skin, passion etched on feet and hands, a father's heart split wide, split wide and spilled grace into the fabric of creation, prophesied the day we fell dead in the garden as if the father already knew his chosen medium, had already seen the day his son would bend low to pick up the heavy brush of splintered wood and paint grace across the history of mankind. Do you think on that third day of creation when he spoke vegetation into being, filling the earth with trees, giving us air to breathe, did he see the one that would take his last. And when that tree dripped its blushing fruit low enough to suffer the sin served to separate us from him, did he see the one raised as our justification, our way back to Eden? Do we see in trees the color of grace? Or the next day, perhaps, as he set the golden sun in the sky Did he see the time she would defy her own course? Hidden in mourning for the Lord of golden glory, her very source surrendered to the black of night. The light of the world in darkness to die and be buried is grace the color of setting sun. Or what of the day he cursed the ground? All thistle and thorn, did he see the crown, the very one that would pierce his brow, his own body receiving the curse he pronounced for sin? But come, let us reason together, he said. And the simile slipped from the artist's lips though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Here, where water and blood sorrow and love flow mingled down here in the dust dirt brown of earth the color of grace has a way of washing us all clean behold the man upon the tree could it be that tears are the color of grace through them I have seen a suffering savior and his sorrow is both virtue and validation comfort and cleansing In his tears, every sorrow is held dear and every loss is given its due time. In the agony of Calvary, we find divine solidarity, our suffering both carried and redeemed. Here we see and are seen through watercolor hues of liquid love. And I have seen the color of grace in the tear-stained face of God. Water and blood. What of that crimson wage on our account? Jesus, you drank the cup of suffering and wrath. Now I drink your red wine, life poured out, and it paid my ransom. Being blood-bought isn't cheap. Forgiveness is costly to the one who gives it, and it cost you everything. Your heart ran red, bled steady over us my scarlet letter gone by inlets of your scarlet blood. We're betrayers bought with sinless blood and we dance in scarlet rivers. So what would you say is the color of grace? That shade where justice and mercy meet, where every bruise, black and blue, a punishment that bought my peace, every headache and heartache placed on him, every hell-bent addiction, every weight of perfection, every futile form of self-salvation, be it our piety or prostitution, all of it filthy rags best exchanged for a white robe washed in crimson blood. He became sin that you might be the righteousness of God. And on Calvary's canvas, I clearly see Every wrong done to me and every wrong at my hand, not discarded or diminished, not forgotten or belittled, there is recompense for every one. I see my shame on his brow, my grief in his bones, my sin on his back, my pain in his soul. We can't carry it all, but he carried it all. We can't carry it all, but he carried it all. I can't carry it all, but he carried it all. As if love could be painted across sky and skin. Passion etched on feet and hands. A father's heart split wide. What would you say is the color of grace? Thank you, guys.
1: Just like Alexander Hamilton, there has been a great price, a gift beyond measure that has been made possible for each of us. We get a glimpse of the cost of that grace. And that spoken word piece. The writer of Hebrews 4 is exhorting us that there is a confidence, a boldness that we can walk in, a boldness that we can walk in, that we can come before the throne of grace this confidence it's not based on our resume it's based on the blood of Jesus not on our works but on his work God doesn't want you to be unsure about his goodness about his faithfulness he doesn't want you walking in insecurity and fear He doesn't want fear to be your master. He wants you to receive this grace, to receive it. We've got to turn. We've got to turn from our way of living, our way of doing things, our way of being the boss, our way of being in control or an imitation or deception of control. We've got to turn from our self-sufficiency and our self-righteousness and thinking that if we do enough, make enough, Accomplish enough that we'll have made it. And in view of this grace, can we come before the Lord? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for your goodness. Lord, you are never embarrassed by our weakness. You're never embarrassed by our brokenness. You're not put off. You pursued us in our stench. Whether it be the stench of sexual immorality or it be the stench of self-righteousness, you drew near. And, Lord, your word tells us that it is your loving kindness that draws us to repentance. So, Lord, I pray right now that every person in this room, myself included, Lord, would you remind us of your loving kindness. Lord, would you remind us the times that we felt so embarrassed, so deeply broken, that we didn't want anybody to see us. We didn't even want to see the light of day. Did you remind us of the place that we've been where maybe we didn't even want to get out of bed, or the time that maybe we accomplished that thing, we got that job, or we got that promotion, or we got that attaboy, but even in spite of it could not shake the hollowness that we felt. knowing that we had to go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, never being satisfied, never being secure, always needing the approval of others to have any sense of self-worth. Lord, would you remind us that in all of those places, your loving kindness was consistent, your faithfulness never wavered a single day, that you have never loved us any more or any less because of what we've done. But help us to be reminded of your loving kindness this morning. Lord, my prayer is that for those of us who have received you, and I want to ask with your heads bowed, if you've received the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just where you are, would you just lift your hands and keep them lifted for a moment? Just reach up to our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, would you help us, God? Would you help us to walk in your grace? Lord, as recipients of it, Lord, would you help us not to forget the grace that has been given to us? Lord, would you help us not to forget that it's not the weight is not on us, but it's on you? God, would you help us to wake up, Lord, not terrified and hoping, hoping that you'll love us or hoping that you'll care for us or hoping that you'll meet us, but knowing that you are there knowing that you give us new mercies each and every morning and knowing that your power is there to refine us and define us and to mold us and to shape us and receive us on our best day and our worst day. God, would you help us to receive and walk in it? Lord, would you help us to daily walk in it? Would you help us to walk in your grace when we're trying to figure out what to do on our job, when we're trying to figure out how to process the ache and the hurt and the offense and the anger that we're carrying? Lord, would you help us to walk in your grace when we're wrestling with addictions that we're learning how to walk in freedom in? And Lord, would you help us to walk in your grace, Lord, as we're accomplishing great things for you, but Lord, knowing that, Lord, you, we do these things because you've already done a work in us. Lord, would you set the wiring straight in our hearts? You can put your hands down. If you're here this morning and you've heard of this grace, you've heard of this good news of this Jesus that paid the debt that you couldn't pay. You've heard of this great gift that's available for you. And maybe at times you've come up to You've come to a church or you've come kind of to the edge of the storefront window and gazed in at what had already been for you, but you have yet to fully actually repent and to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to receive him not just as a res- rescuer, but as the king of your life, to begin walking in that grace. Would you just lift your hand where you are? I want to pray for you this morning to receive Jesus as Lord. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you that you receive us just as we are. That your grace draws us to your kindness. Lord, that we can't even begin to clean ourselves up for something that can only be washed away by your blood. And so, Lord, I pray for those who would courageously respond, Lord, that you would meet them and that they would be forever transformed. Lord, that they would receive you fully. Lord, not just a version or imitation, not just a culturally constructed Christ, but the true and living God. Lord, would you help uproot every false image and false foundation of religiosity so that they could receive you in all that you are. Lord, would you help us all this morning? thank you. We thank you. Just tell them right where you are Just say, thank you. Just thank you for your grace. We praise you. We receive it. Help us walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give them praise?
0: Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.